you guys have a Bible, please turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 5. That's the text we're going to be in uh, this morning. 1 Corinthians chapter 5. As you're turning there, I'll give you kind of a little bit of background uh, in this letter. Uh, so this is the book that we're currently going through in student ministry right now. Uh, and the reason we wanted to go through 1 Corinthians is because uh, when you look at 1 Corinthians, uh, 1 Corinthians is really a picture that Paul gives us of just a typical church that's got a lot of issues with it. Um, and when you look at the letter, the way that it's broken down, it's broken down into really five major segments talking about a, a different issue in the church. And Paul's main point in the book of 1 Corinthians is, is how do you look at different issues going on in the church but see them from a gospel perspective? How do you look at different issues, whether it's food, whether it's uh, worship gatherings, whether it's divisions, whatever it might be, how do you look at these different situations in the church and view them from a gospel lens? And so I want us to read uh, this, uh, these 13 verses in chapter 5, uh, and then we'll dive into it uh, from there and see what God has uh, for us in his word this morning. So 1 Corinthians chapter 5, starting in verse 1. Paul says, I can hardly believe the reports about the sexual immorality going on among you. Some that even pagans don't do. I'm told that a man in your church is living in sin with his stepmother, and you are so proud of yourselves, but you should be mourning in sorrow and shame. And you should remove this man from your fellowship. Even though I am not with you in person, I am with you in the spirit. And as though I were there, I have already passed judgment on this man. In the name of the Lord Jesus, you must call a meeting of the church. I will be present with you in spirit, and so will the power of our Lord Jesus. Then you must throw this man out and hand him over to Satan so that his sinful nature will be destroyed, and he himself will be saved on the day the Lord returns. Verse 6. Your boasting about this is terrible. Don't you realize that this sin is like a little yeast that spreads through the whole batch of dough? Get rid of the old yeast by removing this wicked person from among you. Then you will be like a fresh batch of dough made without yeast, which is what you really are. Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed for us. So let us celebrate the festival, not with the old bread of wickedness and evil, but with the new bread of sincerity and truth. When I wrote to you before, I told you not to associate with people who indulge in sexual sin, but I wasn't talking about unbelievers who indulge in sexual, sexual sin or are greedy or cheat people or worship idols. You'd have to leave this world to avoid people like that. No, I meant that you are not to associate with anyone who claims to be a believer yet indulges in sexual sin or is greedy or worships idols or is abusive or is a drunkard or cheats people. Don't even eat with such people. It isn't, my respons it, it isn't my responsibility to judge outsiders, but it certainly is your responsibility to judge those inside the church who are sinning. God will judge those on the outside, but as the scriptures say, you must remove the evil person from among you. Let's go ahead and pray. Father, this morning, uh, Lord, I just ask that um, as, we, uh, as we, we dive into these, uh, these 13 verses in, uh, in the fifth chapter of the first letter to Corinthians, God, I just ask that you would bless uh, this time, uh, that you would give us eyes to see, ears to hear, 
hearts that desire to, to follow you with everything inside of us, all our strength, all our might, all our, all our will, all of our intelligence, everything, Father, I ask that you by your spirit would direct towards a passionate pursuit of you and, and an advancing of your kingdom, God, for your glory and for our good. And if you all are willing this morning, I just ask you to, to pray, for, uh, pray for yourself. Pray that God would teach you something this morning. And then if you could pray for me, pray that, uh, that what I say would be helpful, would be clear, uh, would ultimately make God look awesome. Father, we love you and uh, we trust you. Uh, please use this time. And it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Uh, well, when I was young, um, one of the first movies that, uh, that I was uh, exposed to, first PG-13 movies uh, that I was exposed to, was this movie called uh, Dante's Peak. Uh, I don't know how many of you ever saw that movie, Dante's Peak, uh, maybe some of y'all. Uh, it's with Pierce Brosnan, who we only know as James Bond, right? Um, but in this movie, uh, he is a uh, scientist who studies volcanoes, who goes to villages that have volcanoes, helps to keep those people safe, helps determine, like, hey, is this volcano going to blow up? Is it not? Um, and there's a scene in the movie that's really interesting, uh, but he's talking to uh, his boss, uh, and he's talking to them about uh, this story he once heard about how to uh, boil a frog. Uh, which sounds like a really weird topic to be talking about on a Sunday morning. Um, but he starts going to this story about how to boil a frog, and he says, you know, if you, if you want to boil a frog, he's like, you can't just take the frog and throw it into boiling water. He's like, it's going to hop out. He's like, but if you take a frog, you put it in a, in a cold pot of water, and you put it on the stove, and you just gradually heat it up over time, the frog will just sit there. It won't jump out. It won't really even notice a significant change in its environment. It will just sit there and slowly boil to death. And uh, as a 13-year-old, that traumatized me a little bit. Um, but as I was thinking about like this text right here, the, the first five verses, Paul is talking to the Corinthians about this specific situation and how to handle this specific situation, which there's a lot of Christian theologians that debate about what exactly does this mean for us, how exactly we apply this, what does that look like. I'm just going to come out and say right now, that's not what this sermon is about. So we're not going to talk about uh, church discipline this morning. Uh, instead, what I want us to focus on is verses 16 through 13, because in 16 through 13, Paul lays out the principle that he's applying in those first five verses. He gives the practical application direct to the point to the Corinthians. And then in, starting in verse 6, he starts laying out, hey, this is how I got there. This is the mindset I want you to think about. This is your attitude, how, how your attitude should be as you're operating in environments of people that, that don't love me. And when I look at that text, the reason this story came to my mind, the reason this memory was pulled out of its 13-year-old traumatizing experience was because when I think about our friendships, the relationships we have with other people in our lives, whether other people at church, whether other people at our work, whether people we know in our neighborhoods, our friendships can become a danger to us. 
And if you've looked at the, the sermon notes this morning, you've noticed that, that I've titled this sermon, The Danger of Friendships. And the reason that I've titled it this morning is because I believe that the principle that Paul brings out in this text communicates to us that if we are not careful, our friendships can lead us to the exact same place that that frog found himself in as that water was just slowly, slowly, slowly raised to boiling. That we can find ourselves in that exact same situation regarding our friendships if we're not careful. And as we're thinking about that, as we're diving into that, what I want to talk about today is how do you avoid that? How do you avoid that? And if we want to avoid it, the first thing it starts with is that we have to realize that our friends can become the water we boil ourselves in. Our friendships, our friends can become the water that we boil ourselves in. Look with me at, at chapter, uh, chapter 5, verse 6. As Paul dives into this initial, this, this, uh, as he starts to bring out the principle here in the second half of verse 6, he says, Don't you realize that this sin is like a little yeast that spreads throughout the whole batch of dough? Now what's he talking about? What does he mean by yeast? Well, he clarifies it in verse 7 when he says that yeast is the people that you're surrounding yourselves with. He says it's, it's this particular person that he's talking about who is claiming to be a Christian but living as though they have no love for Jesus. In verse 7 he says, get rid of the old yeast by removing this wicked person from among you. See, it's their friendships, it's their relationships that Paul is directly identifying as this yeast. The context of the Corinthians, Paul went to Corinth to plant a church there because Corinth was a massive, massive trade center. It was almost equivalent to what we would think about today as like Los Angeles, New York, Las Vegas. It brought in a lot of people, brought in a lot of money, brought in a lot of religion in their day. But consequently brought in a lot of vices as well. Because anytime you have a lot of people gathering together, you're going to have a lot of vices as well. And what the Corinthians were falling into was they didn't understand how to navigate living in a world surrounded by people that did not love Jesus. And Paul is saying, it's these people right here that can become this yeast. And Paul brings up this principle later on in the letter of the Corinthians in chapter 15, verse 33, when he just says, don't be fooled by those who say such things. And he says, for bad company corrupts good character. Bad company corrupts good character. That there is a way to navigate our friendships that can ultimately lead us to a detrimental place in our relationship with Christ. Kind of a picture of this. My, uh, uh, my wife, Josie, uh, loves the show This Is Us. I don't know how many of you guys watch that show. Um, but for the longest time, I held out because really when I looked at it, like every, I would come home from work and she'd be watching an episode on Hulu and just like tears just streaming down her face. I'm like, babe, are you okay? She's like, yes, it's just so amazing. I was like, I'm staying away from that show because um, I just don't want to feel that, right? Like I, I get uncomfortable um, and uh, she makes fun of me for that. But anyway, I got into it because of another conversation I had with a friend and so I started watching it. And it actually is really interesting. Um, but there's a scene in this show where one of the sisters, one of the main characters named Kate, um, is incredibly overweight and she's dating a guy named Toby. 
and uh, Toby is overweight as well, uh, but they have a conversation to where Toby says to Kate, she's like, he's like, hey, I want to keep dating you. I want us to be in a relationship with you, but this whole diet, exercise thing, like, it's just not for me. Like, I don't want it. I want to eat what I want to eat. I want to do what I want to do. I don't want other people telling me how to, how to live my life. I love you. I want to be in a relationship with you, but I just don't want to do this. Now, I will support you in this. You keep going after it because she really wanted to get into shape and eat healthy and whatnot. And so they tried it out for a little time, a little bit, but they were eating out one night, and he was just ordering whatever he wanted, and she was there with, like, her, her plate of broccoli, um, you know, um, and just like resenting him, right? Um, and they go home, and she's driving home, and she just ends up like binging on junk food like whenever she had gotten home. And, and she realized in that moment, she's like, I, I can't do this. And she goes, she has a conversation with him. She's like, listen, if you don't want to eat healthy and get in shape, that's fine. That's your deal. You can do what you want to do, but I can't be in a relationship with you because me being in a relationship with you isn't good for me, and it will ultimately shipwreck me. And that's what Paul is saying here. He's saying there is a way to navigate relationships that will shipwreck you. And as Christians, we're not exempt from this. I know we've got first through fifth graders in here this morning, and I just want to talk to the fifth graders a little bit, uh, because y'all will be with us next year, which I'm excited about. Uh, but, but fifth graders, y'all in here, uh, just think about it like this. You know, how many of you have ever done something just because your friend wanted to do it? Just because your friend wanted to do it. And, and that's what Paul is getting at here because we as Christians, when, when we surround ourselves with Christians who don't take following Jesus seriously, we're, we're just like that frog in water as the water gets warmer and warmer and warmer. And consequently, when those, when those voices start becoming, out, start outnumbering the number of voices in our lives that want to follow Jesus, right, we have more people in our lives who are really not taking Jesus seriously, we have more of their voices in our head and their voices talking to us, then we have people in our lives who are passionately sprinting towards Jesus. It takes an effect. It has an effect on us. Fifth grade, just, just think about it. Is it easier or is it harder when you've got multiple friends telling you to do the wrong thing than just one friend, right? It's harder. When you've got more people telling you to do the wrong thing, it's, it's harder to do the right thing. And this is what happened to the Corinthians. And it can happen to Christians as well. Especially kind of in the context of popular culture, right? When you've got one person in your life telling you, hey, you should check out this TV show, it's really cool, you might feel inside convicted, like, I just don't think I should watch that TV show. And so, like, one person says this to you, you're like, okay, like, I'm not, man, whatever, I'll, you ignore them. But when you've got another friend telling you the same thing, and another friend, and another friend, and another friend, and another friend saying, hey, you gotta watch this show, it's so good, you gotta watch this show, it's so good, you gotta watch this show, it's so good. Eventually, like, that pressure just starts to build. Now, whether you cave or not, I, I don't know. Paul says there's value in conscience where your conscience is at. But as those numbers increase, it gets harder to go the opposite direction from where those people are telling you to go. And that's what was happening to the Corinthians here. That's what was happening to the Corinthians here. They were sitting in a culture surrounding themselves with people who said, yeah, I'm a Christian, I love following Jesus too, but their actions didn't align with where Jesus would tell them to go, and it was more of these people and more of these people and more of these people to finally, they've got somebody engaging in sin that not even non-believers did, and they're like, hey, this is awesome, like we're free in Christ, it's no big deal. 
And if you were to just jump into that situation, you would have immediately realized, like, this is not right. Like, what, like we read that text and we're like, this is clearly wrong. Like, this is not something we should be doing. But it's because the Corinthians didn't get there that way. They were just like that frog just throwing a pot of water as the water just slowly, slowly, slowly heated up. And that's what can happen to us as well if we're not careful. Seniors, same thing can happen to us in college. It's no different. In fact, it's harder in college. Like it's hard in high school, it's way harder in college. And, and what I want to talk about this morning is how do you keep from becoming that frog? How do you keep from having that happen? And the solution that Paul gives is really interesting um, because the solution he gives, I'm going to phrase it this way, the solution Paul gives for how to keep from becoming that frog is a better celebration. A better celebration which is weird and kind of random, but just hang with me for a second. So Paul does tell the Corinthians in the church, he's like, hey, I want you to excommunicate this person. But the interesting thing about that is that that's not where Paul stops. It's not just saying, hey, this is happening, just get rid of this person. Paul goes further, and in verses 7 through 8 of chapter 5, he gives the reason for why he's advocating this. He gives the foundational solution to it, and it's a better celebration that they've been invited into. Look at me, verse 7. Paul says, Get rid of the old yeast by removing this wicked person from among you. Then you will be like a fresh batch of dough made without yeast, which is what you really are. And then he says this, Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed for us. So let us celebrate the festival, which is interesting because he uses the word celebrate. He doesn't say, hey, let's observe the festival. Let's follow the festival. Let's adhere to the festival. He doesn't say any of that. He says, let's celebrate the festival. Like, this is an awesome thing. If he just wants you to like, go through the motions, he'd be like, hey, just do what the festival tells you to do. Follow the rules. You've got the Torah. Just do what it says. He says, no, no, no. let's celebrate it. There should be emotion there. He says, not with the old bread of wickedness and evil, but with the new bread of sincerity and truth. A solution Paul gives here is a celebration. It's a celebration. My, uh, my sister, uh, when she got married, uh, was not a Green Bay Packers fan. Um, in fact, she hardly ever watched football in her life prior to getting married until she met Jerry. And Jerry was from Wisconsin and had a cheese head and loved the Green Bay Packers. And so she married into it. And as soon as she married into it, it was like this transformation had like taken place in her life. Like we'd go over on Sunday and like there was like Packers stuff everywhere. She had a jersey on, she had a cheese head on. Their dog was dressed up in Packers paraphernalia, which I am vehemently against dogs being dressed up in anything. Um, <laughs> but that's a whole nother sermon. Um, but all of this was like driven by a love she had for her husband, right? Her husband was a Packers fan for life. And as she married into that relationship, she became one as well. There's a bunch of you Texas A&M Aggies in here. I know. Uh, that's all right. But if y'all are married and you married somebody who wasn't an Aggie, I'm sure you can probably testify the same thing probably happened. No, somebody's like, I, I am holding firm. I will never whoop in my life, right? Um, here's, here's, the, here's the point of that. It's not a, an adherence to rules that keeps the Christian following Christ. 
it's a, it's, it's a, it's a fixation on joy. It's a celebration that keeps the Christian following Christ. It wasn't like a task for Sage to celebrate the Packers. She just did it. It just came out. It was the most natural thing in the world. Because of a heart change that had happened. It's the celebration you fix your eyes on that forms your actions. And what Paul is arguing here should form your friendships as well. The celebration you've been invited to is what keeps you from becoming that frog boiling in water. It's, it's a fixation on joy. The problem with the Corinthians were that they had become so fixated on lesser imposter joys. They'd become so fixated on the things around them that had been telling them, no, this is a better joy, this is a better joy, this is a better joy. When they had forgotten the celebration that they had been brought into. And if we want to avoid becoming that frog, we have to fix our eyes on the celebration that Christ has brought us into. When I went to college at Oklahoma State, the first goal I had in my mind when I got there as a freshman was like, I've got to find a church. It's the first thing. I was like, I don't care what else happens. I don't care whether clubs come at me to get me to join them. The first thing I got to do is find a church because I knew in my mind I am not mature enough to stand by myself in a whole class of people that don't love Jesus like I do. And I need to surround myself with other people that love Jesus. I got to find a church first. It's the first thing I made out to be my goal when I got to college. And, and, and fifth graders, it's the same way with you, that if we want to follow, if we tend to follow our friends, which unfortunately statistics argue that your friends are the most influential source in your life, student pastors like number seven or eight, then you want to find friends who love Jesus too. Now, they don't need to be your only friends, and we're going to get to that in a second, but you've got to have some friends who want to follow Jesus. Because together you need to fix your eyes on the celebration you've been brought into. All right? It's like right now we're in the doldrums of football season. Right? There's no football going on right now. We're all just like looking to the fall like when it starts. But right now like it's so hard to be excited about a football team. But then when the fall comes around, everybody's like, you know Dallas Cowboys are going to win the Super Bowl this year, right? right? It's going to happen. It's going to happen this year. And that's because, like, you've gotten into the season. You're surrounded by the environment, right? And it's so much easier to celebrate when you're in the environment. When you're not in the environment, it's not that easy. And Paul is saying, you need to keep yourself in the environment. You got to keep yourself in the environment. So what does that look like? Last, last main point for this morning, what does it look like? It looks like this. This is what we talk about in student uh, ministry. It's kind of how we phrase it. Uh, but it looks like forming concentric circle friendships. Forming concentric circle friendships. Having different kinds of friends is another way to uh, think about it. And so uh, um, when Sage would throw Green Bay Packers parties, right, there was intentionality there, right? When there'd be uh, a game on at her house and she'd throw parties for it, we're not inviting Vikings fans, right? We're not decorating the stuff, the, the, her place in Bears paraphernalia, right? There's intentionality, and there needs to be intentionality with our friendships, too. 
Intentionality with our friendships, too. So, so fifth graders, I want you all to think about this. Uh, you want to have three kinds of friends. Three kinds of friends. And so in y'all's bulletins, I know you probably have like a half a page on the right side probably, but a half a page of blank space, that's intentional, okay? I asked that we could have a half a page of blank space in that bulletin. And what I want you all to do this morning is to basically just draw three circles, one circle inside of another circle inside of another circle. So you have kind of three concentric circles. And this is meant to be a picture of what our friendships should look like in our lives. And so we're going to start with what does the outer circle look like, then we're going to go to the middle circle, and then finally we're going to finish at that center circle. So, outer circle. These are the types of friends you want to have. Friends in each one of these categories. So, outer circle. These are the friends who are not believers in Christ. They're not Christians. They don't go to church. They don't follow any sort of Christian uh, ethic, if you want to phrase it that way. They don't have a love for Jesus. They don't want to follow him. And how we respond to those friends is incredibly significant because a lot of times as Christians, we can get caught up thinking that like non-Christians should act like Christians, which doesn't make any sense in the world at all. Like they don't have the same master. They don't have the same Lord. They don't have the same purpose. And so all they need is the gospel. All they need is the gospel. We don't get on to them for not living like we do. We don't get on to them about issues of homosexuality. We don't get on to them about issues of how they spend their money. We don't get on to them for issues about how they date or what they do with their social time. Like, none of that matters. I don't care. All I care about first is do you know Jesus? That's where you start. And Paul says this in verse 12 and verse 13. He says, it isn't my responsibility to judge outsiders. He's like, God will judge those on the outside. Paul's like, I don't care how the outsiders are living. That's not the point here. God handles those people. All we are called to do is to be messengers of the life-saving message of Jesus Christ. And so for that outer circle, what we do is we invite these friends to church. We, We invite these friends to come to events that we have here where the goal of it is just to share the gospel and just build relationships. We make sure they know that we're Christians. I heard a professor say one time that anytime he meets somebody new, he tries to have it in the conversation, the very first conversation he has with them, that they know he's a Christian some way or another. Because then you avoid that just really, really awkward period where it's like later on down the road as their life is just like going down the tube. All of a sudden you've got to have this weird conversation of like, I know you've known me for like five years, but it's all about Jesus. And they're just like, where did that come from? Like what in the world are you talking about? And so he would say, he's like, it's easier if like, you just know right off the bat, like, I follow Jesus. I love him. I want to follow him. And so we invite these people. We make sure they know that we're Christians. We look for opportunities to share our story. Sometimes uh, evangelism can kind of be a scary thing, but really all it is is just sharing your story, what, God, what your life was like before knowing Jesus, how you came to know Jesus, and what your life is like now after knowing Jesus. And we're not looking for that third part to be perfect because it's, it's not but just sharing your story of how you came to know him. Fifth graders, one of the things that we do for student ministry is every single month on the first Wednesday of every month, we just do something fun. We'll go play bubble soccer, we'll have a snowball fight, we'll do sand volleyball, we'll just do something that's just geared towards fun so that students can bring friends of theirs to come and hang out. And the last 10 minutes, we gather everybody together at the end, and we say, hey, 
uh, I want you to hear from one of our students who wants to tell you their story of how they came to know Christ. And so we have a student get up and share their testimony, how they came to know Christ. And after that, we have somebody else get up and say, hey, this is the gospel. This is how you can know Christ. This is how you can know hope and have purpose and find life and joy and satisfaction here. And then we hand out response cards, which these small little cards, yay big, that has that asks for their name, their phone number, and then asks them three questions. Number one, were you brought here by a friend? Number two, would you be interested in being a part of a student life group or Bible study? And then number three, did you pray to receive Christ for the first time tonight? And over the course of this year, this school year, we've had eight students mark on there that they prayed to receive Christ for the first time. I mean, come on. And here's the really cool thing about this. Here's the really cool thing about this is that seven out of eight of those students were new that had been brought by friends here. Seven out of eight of them, which is just awesome. But we don't expect them to act like us. We share the gospel. All they need is the gospel. That's the outer circle. Middle circle. These are the friends who say that they're believers, but are not necessarily making decisions that Christ would approve of. Right, and this is the really like uncomfortable, awkward, uncertain like, like part. Because what they need more than anything else is, is encouragement, is encouragement. And I'm going to say something really quick before I continue on in this point. This center circle is not like a us versus them kind of mentality, right? It's not like I'm never in the middle circle, but like I've got friends who they're always in the middle circle, and so I just need to be encouraging them. No, because like honestly, like sometimes like you are in the middle circle and you need a friend to come to you and say, hey, I love you, but I don't quite understand what you're doing right now. Like I love you, I'm for you, I'm here with you, I'm not trying to condemn you, but what I am trying to do is make sense of some of these decisions that you're making that don't seem like they fall in line with scripture. Like help me understand, I wanna encourage you and help you. Sometimes that's us, and we need that. But what these people need is encouragement. We had a, uh, I've had a, a life group I was in a while back. There was a girl there who uh, was dating a guy who wasn't really a, a follower of Christ. Like, he'd go to church every once in a while, but he wasn't really a follower of Christ. And our life group leaders, in kindness and love, approached her and just said, hey, help us understand this. Like, like what's going on here? And that's what those people need. That's what we need sometimes. Some people will say, well, Dane, like, isn't that judgmental? Well, yes, a little bit. Paul says, though, in verse 12, and don't get mad at me, he says in verse 12, it isn't my responsibility to judge outsiders, but it certainly is your responsibility to judge those inside the church who are sinning. I looked up the Greek for that. It's still judge. It's the same word. It's, it's making a decision on the matter. It's what a judge does in court. Christians are supposed to do this for one another. But remember, again, it's in the context of we are a family. We're here to support one another, encourage one another, be there for one another. And when one of us just loses their mind and starts running off in an opposite direction, it's the most loving thing for us to do to go alongside them and say, hey, help me understand what's going on right now. Because it seems like you're going in a dangerous situation, in a dangerous direction. We are there to encourage them and lift them up and be there for them. And sometimes we need that ourselves. 
a fifth graders, when you've got friends making decisions, like you know, like, man, that's not a good decision to make. You pray for them, you encourage them, you encourage them to follow Jesus. That's that middle section of friends. So out, next to that outside uh, circle, I want you to write the word invite. Next to that middle circle, I want you to write the word encourage. And then the last circle, this inner circle. These are the friends that we look to for advice. These are the friends that we look to for advice. Right? We don't go to the outer circle friends. We don't go to the, in, the middle circle friends. Right, because Paul says in 9 through 11, he's like, when I wrote to you before, I told you not to associate with people who indulge in sexual sin. But I, was, I wasn't talking about unbelievers who indulge in sexual sin or are greedy or cheated people or worship idols. You would have to leave this world to avoid people like that. No. Verse 11, he says, I meant that you are not to associate with anyone who claims to be a believer yet indulges in sexual sin or is greedy or worships idols or is abuser or drunkard or cheats people. Don't even eat with such a person. Now, commentators kind of go around as far as, like, what does that even mean? Don't even eat with such a person. Most commentaries that I've read land in the area of they're not to be welcomed into the, uh, the, the fellowship communion kind of meal is, is most where commentaries get at. But the principle that Paul is drawing on here is that you should have different categories of friendships. And this center circle friends, these are the ones you go to for advice because these are the ones that, man, they want to follow Christ. They've got a heart to follow them. They've got a passion to follow them. They've got a drive to follow them. They want every single thing inside of them to be devoted to advancing the kingdom, whether they're going into vocational ministry or whether they're going into engineering or whether they're going into art or whether they're going into business. Like, it doesn't even matter. Which is one of the things like, I love about the church is that it's not like Jesus is saving people and drawing them all into vocational ministry. He's not. He's saving people who have different talents in business and in art and in theater and in engineering and in marketing and all these things. He's like, hey, I gave that to you. That's awesome. I want you to dive into that. I just want you to think through how do you use that for the kingdom? How do you use that for the kingdom? Many times you can be more impactful for the kingdom in a non-vocational ministry area than you can in a vocational ministry area. It's easier a lot of times to meet with and build relationships with people who are not followers of Christ if you don't have the title pastor or minister before your name. Like It's always frustrating whenever I'm talking to somebody new uh, who I meet at the gym or I meet somewhere else, and they just always start asking, like, oh, so what do you do? I was like, oh, I'm a student pastor. And the conversation always goes like one of two ways, right? Like, it's always just like, oh, like, I love my pastor. Like, I had such a great experience. Or the conversation just dies. And I'm like, oh, this is awkward now, right? And, and sometimes I would get people be like, oh, yeah, like, I used to go to church, but, like, I don't really anymore. And I'm just like, I, that's fine, man. Like, I don't care. Like, what do you like to do for fun? Let's go do that. Like, I don't. And it's like, it's easier to make an impact when you're not in vocational ministry a lot of times. But your but center circle friends, back to the topic at hand, um, these are the people that, if I could simply put it this way, you look at this person, their relationship with Jesus, and like it just like puts yours to shame. Like you look at them and you're just like, I can't even believe like you have that drive to follow him. Those are the people that you want to surround yourself with. Because there's no condemnation for you who are in Christ. There's no reason to feel terrible about yourself because this person is following Christ more passionately. No, no, no. It's wisdom to position yourself next to this person. Proverbs says, he who walks with the wise becomes wise. 
You want to find people who just put your faith to shame. There was a, I'm reading a book right now, um, and uh, the author of this book quotes this guy named Andre Whale, who's a mathematician, of all people. Um, but he says this, he says, a first-rate man will try to surround himself with either his equals or better if possible. A first-rate man will try to surround himself with either his equals or people who are better than him. And that's who we want to be. We want to be men and women who seek to find those who are chasing after Christ at a thousand percent and come alongside them and build friendships with them and say, hey, we'll, we'll, like, will, you, will you get coffee with me? I just I want to hear about what your life is like. Tell me your story about how you came to know Christ. Like, I want to know. I had a girl in college that I was friends with that was just like this. Like, I met her for the first time, and I was a fourth year. Um, I did five years in college. I was a fourth year. And I met her, and literally, it was like this. Like, her faith, was, she was just so on fire. She shared the gospel to anybody. I just had to message her one day. I was like, hey, listen. I know this might sound kind of creepy, but like I would really like to get coffee with you. I'm not trying to date you. I just want to hear your story. I want to know how you came to know Christ because you've got something. You've got a fire that's burning in your heart that I want. And I want to know how you got it. And she had an awesome story. And her and I became pretty close friends. And I found myself pursuing Christ more adamantly because of knowing her because she challenged me and she encouraged me. And I had multiple friends like that in my life. But it's gotta be intentional. It doesn't just happen. We can't just sit here and wait for it to happen. You gotta go find it. You have to be intentional. Paul says, keep your eyes fixed on the celebration. Fixed on the celebration. And one of the ways in which you do that is through intentionality in your friendships. Last story I wanna share before we, uh, before we close out. Um, so Harry Potter, I know, right, hard left turn right there, um, Harry Potter in, in, uh, in book one, um, when he first gets to Hogwarts, he is, uh, he's confronted with this kind of friendship decision, all right, he's standing on the stairs, and all of a sudden, like, there's this, this one group of friends over here, Malfoy and his, 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 his posse, um, who this kid is slick, like he's rich, like he's very confident in himself. And he approaches Harry and he's like, hey, I, I can show you the way. I can show you how to be like me. And then he's got another group of friends over here, potential friends, where it's just this kind of like geeky, nerdy, curly-haired girl named Hermione and this red-haired, dirty-nosed boy named Ron. And you know, from, if you've seen the movie, you know he ends up going with the second, right? He ends up going with the second. But what's so fascinating about that whole dynamic right there is that as you track along in the movies or in the books, whichever one you've seen, his friendship in that moment, those two groups of people end up going two completely opposite directions and actually end up on opposite sides of a war by the end of the book. And Harry, in that first book, was, was very intentional. When he looked at Malfoy, he's like, I think I can, I can figure out who are the people that I want to surround myself with myself. I think I can take care of that myself. And as you track along, you see that these friends, Hermione and Ron, are there to support him, encourage him, lift him up. He's not like this stellar superstar all the time, right? He's got his dark moments. But like they are there for him. And ultimately, together, 
they reach victory. And that's what I want for us because friends are such an important part of our lives. Such an important part of our lives. But we shouldn't be so foolish as to think that we don't have different kinds of friends. Because as soon as we do that, our friends can become the water we boil ourselves in. And I want something better for us. I want something better for us. Ask yourself this morning, your, your center circle friends, your closest friends, what category do they fall into? The friends you uh, hang out with the most, you listen to the most, you take advice from the most, what category do they fall into? Are they the outside circle, the middle circle, or the center circle? Do you have friends in the center circle? Because you need them. Do you have friends in the outer circle? You need those too. What, is your, what do your friendships look like right now? Because it's not just a Friday night uh, free time that's on the line, right? Like it's not just an empty Saturday that needs to be filled with entertainment and recreation and fun things to do with other people. That's not what's on the line. What's on the line is life and joy and satisfaction and the pursuit of the greatest purpose and mission that mankind has ever known, and that's to advance the kingdom and experience the life that Jesus has for us, and that's what I want for us. And so we're gonna pray here, um, and then we'll continue in worship with our, with our tithes and our offerings this morning. Father, um, Lord, this morning, I, I don't know where all of us are, are at, um, but Lord, I would just ask that, so that you would bring to our minds by your spirit, God, what our next step is. You know, maybe we've got, uh, maybe our closest friends, we would categorize as that outside circle friend group or even that middle circle friend group. And if that's the case, Father, I just ask that you would uh, work in us, that you would give us wisdom to start creating distance in that friendship. But that's what needs to happen. There needs to be distance in that friendship. Lord, I would ask that if we don't have any center circle friends, people that love you, that want to follow you with everything inside of them, Father, that you would bless our pursuit for that. That you would hear us pray, God, I need friends that want to follow you with everything. I feel alone. I feel like I don't have any support in my life. I need that. And I pray, Lord, you would hear that prayer, that you would respond graciously to us. And lastly, God, if we are that middle friend, if we ourselves are that middle friend, I pray that your spirit would just sweetly convict us, that you don't come to us with, with judgment or condemnation, but you come to us like a loving father saying, hey, you're running the wrong direction. You're not going somewhere that you really wanna be. You might think you are right now, but you're not. You might think it's gonna offer you joy and satisfaction and life, but those things are only found in me through my son, Jesus Christ, who came, who experienced life just like you, who, who he, the book of Hebrews says experienced every single temptation that we experience, was fully God and fully man. And in his last hours, bowed down in the Garden of Gethsemane and prayed, Father, take this cup from me. And that cup was divine wrath that we deserved 
that we deserve divine wrath because of the sin inside of us that separates from you. But he bowed down on his knees and says, I will be obedient to you, Father, what you will. And he took that wrath upon himself and it killed him. And yet he didn't stay dead because three days later he rose from the grave as the father victoriously pronounced that that punishment had been paid in full. So that now whoever places their faith in Jesus and what he's done can know him, can experience the purpose and the life that God you have for them. And so, Lord, if there's conviction needs to happen this morning, I pray that it would happen, but that it would happen in the context of the gospel, Father. And if we don't know you this morning, if there's those of us here that do not know you, I just ask, Lord, that you would move in their hearts to want you. And if that's you this morning, all it takes is just telling God that. God, I am done doing life my way. I want to do it your way. I want to do it your way. And I pray this, Father, in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen.